The Border Patrol and residents living in border towns prepare for the apocalypse of illegal immigration. A California panel votes to bankrupt an already bankrupt state by paying out billions in reparations. The South Carolina House takes up an amended version of the Senate's heartbeat bill, and law enforcement officials identify the perpetrator who ran over 18 people near the U.S.-Mexico border. This is Truth in Politics and Culture with Dr. Tony Beam. It's time to crank it up. Welcome in. Thanks for joining us today for the program. It's going to be a shortened program today because I'm going to have to leave my luxurious studio here in uh, Greer and head to Columbia. As you just heard, today is going to be a big day down in the state capitol when it comes to South Carolina and protecting the unborn. There's going to be testimony offered at a subcommittee this morning at 9 o'clock of the Judiciary in the House, and then the full Judiciary Committee committee will meet at 10 o'clock. And then hopefully this bill, which is the Senate version of the heartbeat bill that will be amended, no doubt, in the House. In fact, it's it's already been, the amendments have already been suggested. Uh, that bill will go to the floor, and we've got, uh, we'll have today, tomorrow, and Thursday to get the bill passed, get it over to the, get it over to the Senate. Uh, the Senate will have to concur if we have any chance of passing this into law before the end of the day on Thursday, and then it will have to go to the governor's desk for his signature. So we'll see what's going to happen. Don't We don't know at this point um, if there's enough time left to actually do this. But the reports coming in from DHEC are spurring, I think, this activity. We're talking about abortion at incredible levels. February's numbers are the last ones we have officially and they were at 986 abortions a month. February February was a short month. There's little doubt with Florida's law now in place, and uh, it being a, a, a basically a six-week ban, a heartbeat bill similar to what South Carolina is working on now, that we're going to pass 1,000 abortions a month. We did that in March, and we certainly did likely in April, and so forth. So Anyway, we're um, uh, in the shoot. We're in the last three days of the legislature. There'll be a mad rush to get bills passed and to get them to the governor's desk. The legislature will be coming back to finish up the budget, but normally that's all that they do. If they don't finish the budget this week, which is it would be unusual if they were able to do that. So anyway, I'm going to have to leave early today. Uh, the program will uh, end live at 8 o'clock, so today will be a shorter podcast, but we are going to get to the news, and to be able to get it all in, get it all covered, we're going to go ahead and and dive in. The border surge has already begun, and the reason I'm talking so much about this is because a lot of people just don't realize what what is about to happen to us at the southern border. Uh, We are about to have up to 15,000-plus people a day crossing. In fact, Uh, Over the weekend, the numbers rose to 9,000, 
just over the weekend, an average of 9,000 a day, which we've been at somewhere around 5,000. So we had the uh, uh, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas was near the border last week checking in with Border Patrol agents in the Rio Grande sector and talking with local residents. I played a little bit of, of his comments yesterday that he made to, I believe it was NBC News. He's also uh, talked to other news outlets. But the main thing that he just keep he just keeps saying is the same thing over and over. That, uh, that we're prepared, that the border's secure, and it's always been secure. And I guess all these people crossing the border that are being bused to New York City and Chicago from Texas and other border towns, and then being bused from Chicago into the suburbs, and now being bused from New York City into the suburbs, I guess New York decided Chicago's idea was a pretty good idea. So You've got thousands of people. I mean, he's, he, he sees all this. We see all this. And yet he still insists that the border is secure. I mean, it, it's, it's like a, a six-year-old standing there with peanut butter all over their mouth saying, no, I haven't been in the peanut butter jar. I mean, how in the world can anybody believe anything that he says when he constantly says things that are demonstrably false? He held a press conference on Friday, and it was embarrassing. I mean, basically, what he did on Friday was to beg 15,000 people that are sitting right across the border. They estimate there's about 15,000 there that are getting ready to walk across the border. And Mayorkas' best attempt to try to stem that tide is simply just to beg them not to come. Listen to this. To the individuals themselves who are thinking of migrating, do not believe the smugglers. Please access the official government information on the Department of Homeland Security website for accurate information because you are being deceived. Now, here, here's what I'm wondering. Um, these people, these 15,000 that are on the other side of the border, uh, Majorca says they're being deceived into thinking that they're going to be able to cross into the United States. I wonder what they think about that. I think rather than believing Mayorkas, I think they think Mayorkas is trying to gaslight him, that he's trying, he's the one that's the deceiver, because who? what are they supposed to believe? Something that Mayorkas is saying, or do they believe their eyes? Do they believe the open border? Do they believe seeing their, um, their friends, their neighbors, their, just people that maybe they've gotten to know on the journey getting to the U.S. border, or maybe complete strangers, seeing them loaded up, uh, being bused to New York or Chicago, uh, being accepted in these processing centers, which, by the way, the, the processing centers in, at the border are already at capacity or over capacity. And so how is the government responding to all this? Um, they're responding the way that Mayorkas is responding. They're in complete denial. It's like when Cleopatra fell off her barge and wouldn't admit, admit that she was wet. It's because she was in denial. Dad joke. Should have put a cautionary tone out there. But I'm just saying the, the, the lies that are being pushed on the American people, and I think the reason that there's not just complete uprising about this among the American people, and I'm not talking about violence, I'm talking about demands, more demands for something to be done, is because people are just not paying attention. But 
attention will be paid when the number of people that's predicted to cross the border shatters all records that have been set in the past since President Biden has been in office. And so the the people that are waiting, 15,000, you don't see them suddenly dispersing. I mean, you don't see Mayorka saying, look, you're being deceived. You're listening to these um, coyotes. You're listening to these people that are guiding you here to the border, and, and you're, you're being deceived. You need to go back home. Well, all of a sudden, they just break camp, get out of line, and head back to their homes. Right? No, they don't do that because— what they see is not what Mayorkas is telling them, and they believe their eyes rather than the rhetoric. On Friday afternoon, the government released, listen to this, $330 million to border communities that are trying to care for thousands of migrants who have already crossed into the United States. And, oh, by the way, big chunks of that money didn't just go to the border communities because right now New York City is a border community for the southern border because— of actions taken by not only Governor Abbott of Texas, but other states that are busing migrants, that are sending them, that are flying them into New York City. And New York City's answer to the problem, even though they're a sanctuary city and they bragged about in the past welcoming um, illegal immigrants to the city to be able to escape being deported, they're actually busing them into the suburbs in the same way that Chicago was doing. Now, border residents, as you might imagine, are not too happy about this. Um, they're, in fact, they're infuriated when they hear Mayorkas talking about the way things are, and they know good and well that that's not the way things are. And so listen to this resident of Brownsville that was talking to Fox News about Mayorkas' statements. It's cruel to not have a plan in place for all of the people you're supposed to represent and then yet you're bringing thousands more over and then you have the audacity to lie to the American people about it who are having to live in this daily? It's unacceptable. He keeps talking about humanity and being compassionate and cutting out the cartel and it's just lip service. See, it's, they know that it's lip service. They know that there's nothing to what Mayorkas is saying because as Mayorkas is saying these things, in the background, there, 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 there's, there's this uh, image of people just walking across the border. In fact, what would have been appropriate is when Mayorkas was making these statements at the press conference, they should have just had panned the camera back and just had migrants just continually walking behind them. Now, they're never going to allow that to happen, of course, but that's what... That's what's actually happening. If you want to know what it looks like down at the border, instead of just listening to Mayorkas, who is spouting the Biden administration line that cannot be defended, as this Brownsville resident just pointed out, I mean, they know people that live there, you're going to go and lie in their to their face when they can see the number of people that are in facilities in these border towns and how the border towns are stretching their resources to the breaking point to try to take care of them. I mean, you've got El Paso Mayor Oscar Leeser, who's a Democrat. He said at least 15,000 migrants are waiting right across the border in Juarez, Mexico, waiting to begin crossing on Thursday. Mayorkas is talking to them. The mayor has been of, of El Paso has been trying to reason with them, but you notice that they're not leaving. Texas Governor Greg Abbott blamed President Biden for the crisis 
And that's per, that's fine. Look, President Biden is responsible for this because they, this administration has done nothing. You remember when Kamala Harris was the border czar? She was going to be the one that was going to come up with the solution to illegal crossings at the border. We, we don't even know. Kamala Harris is, is probably being held somewhere out of the public consciousness because her approval ratings are so bad and she's done nothing since becoming border czar. Now they've re kind of retooled Kamala Harris and now they're they're trying to give her another task to address. And what is it? Artificial intelligence. I got to tell you, I, I mean, they, they had to know that they were fueling a thousand jokes when they made Kamala Harris in charge of artificial intelligence. I mean, I... I it, if ever there was a person whose intelligence was artificial by nature, that would be Kamala Harris. So she failed miserably at being the border czar. She went on a few talk shows, talked about it, and then visited some of the countries of origin where the immigrants are coming from as if she could talk them out of coming by, you know, send. we're going to send money down to uh, Venezuela, Nicaragua, and different countries in order to make the standard of living better for those people so they don't want to come into the United States. And that was, as you might imagine, it was an abysmal failure. And anybody that looked at it or thought about it more than five minutes would realize that was going to be the case. But now we're about to suffer the consequences. I mean, Thursday's it, but folks, Thursday is going to be chaos at the border. Now, I, I don't know that the government's going to let you see that. It's going to be interesting to see how much video comes from that area uh, once these people, these fifteen thousand, and that are that number still building, by the way, that are just waiting to get across. And there's going to be a steady stream behind them. Again, estimates around fifteen thousand a day will attempt to cross. Um, and they will have to be processed uh, at the border, and that's that's three times the number that were crossing before um, Title 42 expired. Now, Governor Abbott, in addition to blaming the Biden administration, he's assembled a Texas tactical border force of 450 National Guard troops to meet the surge. And the governor said that they're going to be sent to hotspots along the border to encounter migrants and build temporary walls to help stem the flood of migrants expected to attempt to cross. And I look, I applaud Governor Abbott for doing that because he's got to do something to protect the people of uh, Texas, and this is this is what he's decided to do. But it, I, I have to say that 450 National Guard troops, in the same way that 1,500. Um, soldiers that have been sent there by the gov by the federal government are not going to be able to do very much to stem the tide of what's happening. And I, you're going to everybody's going to be able to see this if if we're allowed to see it once it once it begins on Thursday. Um, these NGOs and government facilities are already packed. These border towns, as you just heard from the resident a few minutes ago, are being overrun. They see what's happening. They don't have the resources to deal with it. And the, the large cities that are sanctuary cities are just shuffling the migrants off, out of sight, out of mind, get them out of the city. That's what they're thinking. Uh, it's a terrible policy, and it's affecting the entire country. I mean, there was a time when it was just the border states that would be affected by this, and now it's, it's literally affecting the entire country. All right, panel vote. There's a panel this weekend that's been working, I think, 
for the last three or maybe four years in California to determine if reparations should be paid to African-Americans who are living in California, but also from anywhere in the country, essentially, uh, that they should they be paid reparations because of slavery and systemic institutional racism and a whole host of other charges against the American people that have happened in the past, should they be paid billions of dollars in reparations? Well, the verdict is in, and I'm sure you'll be shocked to know that the nine-member reparations task force recommended that the California legislature move forward with spending an estimated $500 billion for black residents in California. Um, and, and people across the country who would come to California to get out on the gravy train. They also recommended the state formally apologize for slavery and for structural racism. They took comments from residents. And, you know, the, what's interesting is that some of the residents that spoke to the panel were upset that $500 billion was not enough. Now, nobody knows where this money's going to come from. I mean, California is essentially a bankrupt state. I mean, there. This is about. Um, let's see. I was trying to think what the last figures that I read about California's budget, but it, it's in the neighborhood of ten times what California's annual budget is. But somehow they're going to pay this money out. Now, of course, they're not going to pay it out all at once. I understand that they're not going to pay it out. That there's not going to be millions of dollars, as some news reports have said going to a majority of African Americans. Now, there could be as much as 1.2 million if an Af African American living in California whose ancestors checked all the boxes. In other words, if, if they're older African Americans, if they've been longer in California, um, and they've got ancestors from the 19th century that they can trace back to slavery or to some form of racism, they, they, they will receive, on average, about $148,000 based on uh, redlining by banks. Now, that's just one category. When you hear that African Americans are going to get $148,000 or $150,000 or $115,000 over here, that's, there are multiple categories that the reparations panel is recommending to the state that they use in order to determine payments. So how much would they get would depend on their age, how long they've lived within the practices, victims of over-policing. Over-policing and mass incarceration would receive up to $115,000. You know, I think there's a lot of California residents right now that would like to see a little over-policing because they're finding out what under-policing can do in Los Angeles and San Francisco and Sacramento and some of the largest cities in the state of California. I mean, crime is sp spiking off the chart, just like it is in New York and Chicago and Philadelphia and Baltimore and different cities that are being run by Democrat mayors in California. You've got cities that are being devastated by the fact that law enforcement has pretty much dried up. So all told, if you're an older qualifying black resident in the state, you could qualify for up to $1.2 million total. And that this would be, I mean, I, how, how is the government going to pay for this? Lawmakers are going to have to face the public. They're going to have to try to figure out how in the world that much money can be accounted for. 
Now, the chairman of this uh, this panel that came up with this amount, Camilla Moore, she's chair of the task force. She explains the purpose for reparations, and she makes no mention of how much this is going to cost or where the government's going to get the money. Accounting for that broken promise of reconstruction and repairing um, the, the, the transferred harms to the direct descendants of those enslaved people. Okay. The enslaved, the enslaved people, people who were enslaved in the 19th century, their descendants would receive a lot of money today. And that's where most of the critics are being critical of this policy. According to polling, as you might imagine, black Americans support reparations by about 77%. In other words, 77% agree that they should be paid while a majority of white, Asian, and Hispanic Americans oppose the idea. And most who oppose it say, for the following reasons, that this is bad, that they would be penalized for something they didn't do. That's number one. In other words, what, why should people living today be penalized through exorbitant taxes that it would take to even come close to paying this amount of money or that public money that they've already paid would go to pay for uh, African-Americans for past sins that happened before they were even born. They also argue, the and, and I'm talking about people that were not even born at the time that African-Americans were being abused by slavery. Uh, they also argue that they'd be paying for people who didn't actually experience slavery. They would be paying for the slavery of their ancestors. Critics say that black Americans are treated equally under the law now, and they ask how a monetary value could ever be calculated to compensate people for past wrong. I mean, basically a policy paying, paying billions to one racial group? What do you think that would do toward stoking racial tensions that are already pretty tense right now in the United States? It would encourage other groups who may have been marginalized or mistreated in the past to seek monetary damages. I mean, just think how many Japanese Americans could trace their ancestry back to the, to the uh, holding camps that they were placed in during World War II. How many Asian uh, or how many Native Americans would go back and claim that land that was taken, which they are already doing, that was land, land was, that was taken by the United States in the westward expansion, that Native Americans should be paid the value of that land and given the opportunity to live on it. I mean, there are movements that would reclaim Mount Rushmore, um, basically, and uh, get, you know, take that national monument and tear it down because it represents oppressive government policies for Native Americans. And so how much money would be involved there for Native Americans to, to, be, to get reparations? And what about Hispanics? I mean, there's, there are Hispanic groups who claim that large chunks of the United States were taken from Mexico and taken from Spain uh, long, long ago in our history, and that that land should either be restored or they should be paid reparations. So we're not just talking about bankrupting a state here. We're talking about bankrupting the entire United States of America. Oh, wait a minute. We're already bankrupt. I forgot. $32 trillion in debt and counting. But but this would be this would be an insane 
amount of money that would be going out to different groups based on their race and based on past mistreatments that could be claimed uh, from a lot of different groups. Um, I, I, I mean, how, how could we ever come up with the money to, the, to pay them? But already there are about a dozen cities across the country that have approved or are, are considering approval of their own reparations plan. If the California, California legislature approves the plan, uh, this has to go before the legislature. I mean, this reparations uh, committee doesn't have any power, obviously, to levy taxes or to distribute funds. They're just making recommendations. But if the California legislature were to decide to do this, they would have to establish an agency to determine eligibility and distribute funds. Can, can you imagine how much it would cost the state of California just to establish the agency that would figure out that would have to go back and look through the ancestral records of African Americans who apply to figure out the and calculate how much money would be paid out to them and over what period of time. Just the cost of that would be millions of dollars on top of the $500 billion that the panel says should be paid out. This is not financially possible. I mean, this is, this would, you know, we say, and I've, I've made jokes about you can't bankrupt a bankrupt state. Uh, well, you can drive the state to the point that it would have to drastically raise taxes. People and businesses would have to move out because they wouldn't be able to afford to, to live in California and find a place that hasn't lost its mind by trying to do this. So this is just keeping you up to date about what's going on in California. All right, quickly, as we wrap up this morning, like I said, this is going to be a little, little bit of a shorter live show today because I've got to get on the road. But law official, uh, law enforcement officials, according to Daily Wire, in Brownsville, Texas, identified the man accused of driving over 18 people near the U.S.-Mexico border on Sunday as 34-year-old George Alvarez. Now, the video of the incident is hard to watch. In fact, I wouldn't recommend watching it because you've got a gray Range Rover traveling at just, I mean, moving. He was, he was driving very fast when he struck individuals sitting on the sidewalk. Um, aftermath, I mean, it's a, it's a horrible thing. It looks like a battleground scene from the Civil War. Uh, the SUV ran a red light, lost control, flipped on its side, and struck a total of 18 individuals. Now, the Brownsville police... Um, and officials there have not yet been able to determine if Alvarez was doing this on purpose. Um, there were six fatalities on the scene, 12 that were critically injured, um, and from then to now, fatalities have grown to eight. So eight people have died. And when you look at George, at George Alvarez's rap sheet, I mean, he's, it, 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 it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, police displayed a poster board, according to Daily Wire, that listed Alvarez's criminal history that included aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, assault against elderly or disabled, assault causing bodily injury to a family member, assault of, pu of a public servant, burglary of a vehicle, assault causing bodily injury and criminal mischief, driving while intoxicated. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And so here's a place... And this is near Brownsville, where evidently this guy has been able to skirt law enforcement. He's been charged with all these major crimes, and yet he's free 
to be out driving around. And whether he did this on purpose or not, uh, it was, I mean, it's a terrible case of, of mass death because of the actions of one person that shouldn't have been out driving a vehicle to start with. I mean, driving while intoxicated, all, uh, possession of marijuana, resisting arrest. I mean, it goes on and on, crimes that should have kept him behind bars so that this never would have happened. See, this is not, you don't just lock people up who are perpetrators like this in order to rehabilitate them. In fact, the main purpose you lock them up is because you're trying to protect the people that they may hurt if they're out and able to roam around and do what this guy's done. Um, and, and where's the media on this? I mean, again, this tragedy that resulted in eight deaths and numerous people sent to the hospital that have been uh, hurt, that badly hurt, and will have to live with their injuries the rest of their life, that this is not being covered all that much by the legacy media because it doesn't fit the narrative. There's not a racial issue here that can be exploited. Uh, there's not a white supremacist or neo-Nazi th- uh, storyline that can be exploited. There's nothing to see here. We'll just move along according pretty much to the legacy media. All right, that's all the time we've got today. I apologize that we got to head out a little bit early, uh, but I hope you've enjoyed the program. Don't forget to tell others about it. You can go to drtonybeam.com, just like you are, hopefully, listening live right now. And, of course, later on, you'll be able to download this show as a podcast from Spotify, from uh, Apple Podcasts, from the iTunes Store, just about anywhere you can get a podcast, you can get this one. And this one is Truth and Politics with Dr. Tony Beam. God bless you. We'll have a full show tomorrow with a report on South Carolina. <laughs>